Good morning, Three Rivers Church. Man, what a joy to come together and be together um, on two campuses. How fun it is that this morning uh, we have a campus meeting down the road and a campus here and God has expanded the work of the kingdom and how cool it is to think about that every Sunday. And I remind you of that because next Sunday, the 14th, we're going to be worshiping together uh, on the same campus. So Kingston Road Campus is going to meet with us here and we'll all be together, and how fun will that be? So this place is going to be packed out, both campuses together, and Lord willing, everybody's going to be off their travels and back here, so uh, make sure you get here a little bit early, make sure you find your seat, and you're here to worship. We're one church, two campuses, and so I'll be preaching next week, and then the time we gather after that, Pastor Josh will preach, and so we'll rotate back and forth and all that fun stuff. Cool things to be thinking about, Josh is going to, and I are going to be swapping out periodically. You won't know when that is, we do, and so some Sundays I'll be here and Josh or I'll be down there and Josh will be here and so just look for those things coming up in the not too distant future but next week make sure you're here don't miss that opportunity for us to be together as uh, one campus and uh, and so we'll do that next week what fun that's going to be so don't look past that okay you guys ready to jump into Acts 11 let's do it let me pray and then we're going to roll father we thank you for the powerful gospel that is salvation for everyone who believes and we thank you that that gospel um, that gospel has been given to us in your word. And this message that we proclaim with our lips is truly, truly powerful. And we pray this morning that you would do a work of grace in the hearts of your people. For those who believe that you would strengthen their faith in you, you'd increase it, you'd sustain it, you'd uphold it. We pray, Father, for those who are not in the faith, that you would take away their heart of stone and put in them a heart of flesh and put your spirit in them and cause them to walk in your way. That you would regenerate them to life, give them eyes to see and ears to hear and cause them to embrace this glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. And pray, God, that you would advance your kingdom rule over our town, over our state, over our country, and over the nations. May the rule of Jesus Christ come to play today. May your kingdom come and your will be done in this room today and over Roman Floyd County, Georgia, the United States, and the world as it's done in heaven. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Acts 11, 1 to 30. One of the dangers in studying through, could you guys turn the volume on me down a little bit? I feel really weird like I'm in a fish barrel. Um, so that would be, help me not, oh, that's awesome, that's better. Does that help you a little bit? I felt like I was somewhere funky and uh, in a barrel and uh, echoing. So I hope that sounds a little better to you. It does to me. Acts 11, 1 to 30. One of the challenges studying through narrative is that it's easy to isolate passages of Scripture apart from the context of the narrative. Right, And so we're studying through the book of Acts. And as we study through Acts, it's important that we keep our bearings, that we uh, make sure we keep our mooring to the intent of the book of Acts so that when we study the narrative, uh, we will see how it fits in. And, and, and therein, part of the study of studying the Scriptures is putting it in its context so we understand the meaning. And therefore, only when we study, study the meaning can we apply properly. And so before we jump into Acts 11, 1 to 30, let's go back in our introduction to Acts and let's make sure we set this sucker in its setting well. Acts chapter 1, verse 1 to 8 really is the framework by which we need to always come to the text. So just go back real quickly and hit Acts 1, 1 to 8 in the first book, O Theopolis. So remember, Luke, who wrote the gospel of Luke, is writing Acts. And so he is addressing Theopolis and the group of people with him. And he says, in the first book, O Theopolis, I have dealt with, that's the book of Luke, 
all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. You're going to see that repeated by Peter in our passage today. So when he had come together, so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Still missing the point. It's not about Israel. It's about all nations. But still missing the point. So they still ask him, and he's gracious and kind. And he says to them, it's not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and into the earth. This framework helps us to see that Jesus is all about the kingdom. He's all about his rule among all nations. Not merely, and don't mishear this, saving individuals. The gospel of the kingdom does save individuals. The gospel is powerful. And it is powerful for salvation to everyone who believes. But it's not just the gospel of salvation. The gospel of the kingdom is Jesus saves people. And he saves them in all domains of society. And he intends to fix all of creation. Ephesians 1, 7 to 10. And bring it all back under his rule. Practically. So therefore, that affects everything we do. It's not simply about hole up in a Bible study and don't get tainted by people who think things different from us. But no, take your domain captive. Bring it under the rule of Christ practically in everything you do. Saved people do that. That's their ministry is bringing the domains of society back under the rule of Jesus. So Jesus is teaching them about the kingdom. And he reminds them. You need power. So so the time is coming where you will be empowered by the Holy Spirit. I will send Him. He will come. He will indwell you. He will empower you. And you then will be my witnesses. You will testify to this kingdom. In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. And so that framework is how we study through the book of Acts. So what we see in Acts 11, 1 to 30 isn't just this rogue passage. But it is... The recounting of Jesus' disciples doing kingdom work among all people. And the empowerment of Jesus to empower them to make disciples and further the kingdom to all nations. Make sense? So that's our framework. Kingdom. Remember our DNA. The gospel of the kingdom makes disciples in domains of society. And from that, the church grows and multiplies. So what we're going to see is the powerful gospel of the kingdom, saving people, rescuing them, and sending those disciples out to disciple domains. And from that, we're going to begin to see in Acts 12 and 13, the church multiplying from Antioch. So that's our framework. So as we come to Acts 11, 1 to 30, what do we see? What does it mean? So we're going to break it down into three sections. Acts 11, 1 to 18... Is going to be where we unpack this first theme of the basis of unity. The second passage we're going to look in Acts 11, 19, verse 19 to 26. We're going to see this theme of cross-cultural work and unnamed disciples making disciples cross-culturally. And then we're going to see verse 27 to 30, this theme unpacked of disciples 
serving as part of their outgrowth of following Jesus. So let's take that first theme in verse 1 to 18 and let's unpack it for just a minute. What do we see? Well, we see in 11, 1 to 18, this theme of unity. The Holy Spirit unifies the church. Nice little thing for you to notice here. Peter, remember from Acts chapter 10, has gone to Joppa. Can you think of somebody in the Old Testament who went to Joppa too, but for a different reason? Jonah. Now remember, God spoke to Jonah and said, I want you to go to Nineveh and preach because I want to save people in Nineveh. I want to rescue this city. What did Jonah do? Jonah ran to Joppa, not to preach the gospel, but to get on a boat and run from God. And we know how that ended, right? Peter goes to Joppa, not for the sake of running from God, but running to the vision. Running to what God had told him to do. So Peter, in a very real way, is the anti-Joppa. Or, or I'm sorry, is the anti-Jonah. He's running to Joppa to preach the gospel to these Gentiles. And as he goes, we see that God does what he promised he would do. And he's going to make disciples out of Cornelius and his household. But something unique happens here. The same problem that Jonah would have, Peter's going to have. And that is this cross-cultural reality now of different peoples being unified. And the Lord has shown Peter already, and we've studied this in Acts 10, that these Gentiles are to be included. And he's going to have to, in Acts 11, 1 to 18, defend their inclusion. So let's take a look at some observations we see from Acts 11, 1 to 18. Unity, the Holy Spirit unifies the church. First observation, verse 1, the Gentiles have received the gospel. We see in verse 1, now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So they have believed. And so now that they have believed, they're part of the kingdom. And we see in verse 2 to 3 that there's a circumcision party, which by the way, they're going to have trouble with... And we're going to see this in the book of Galatians. You're going to see it played out some more upcoming in the book of Acts. That there's a party of the Jews who do not want to include Gentiles. They want to keep them out. They want to put laws on them that aren't biblical. They want to put laws on them that keep them separated. And we see here in verse 2 to 3. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him saying, You went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. So this circumcision party, which Paul says some really crude things in Galatians 5 about them. And I'll let you go read that for yourselves. This circumcision party is criticizing Peter for spending time with Gentiles. You look up to chapter 10, we'll see that not only he preached the gospel to them and they believe, but he stayed with them a few days and he ate with them. So they're criticizing Peter. And this is going to be the first of many clashes over the inclusion of the Gentiles. This circumcision party is going to have to be dealt with. Third observation. From verse 4 through 15, Peter then, in response to the criticism, recounts the encounter that we read in chapter 10, verse 9 through 48. Now what's interesting here is the fact that Luke re-records, re-records the same passage on the heels of its recording. In teaching, we call that repetition. And what is repetition too? It highlights a main point and helps us to learn. 
If you look back to chapter 10, we read the account of Peter preaching to Cornelius in his household. And then in chapter 11, verse 4 through 15, it's told again. Why? Because it's really important and he wants us to learn. Peter recounts this passage to this crew and Luke records it because this is a huge deal. Because these passages... These passages are separated, but they are back-to-back because Luke wants to draw our attention to the vital nature of frontier work and the unity of the church in bringing Jew and Gentile together because this is a huge deal. And we'll get to some application in just a moment. The fact that he repeats this helps us to understand that the inclusion of the Gentile, the bringing into one body multiple peoples, is a vital deal to God and should therefore be a vital deal to us. And we're going to hit some application here in just a second. Just observing, alright? Observation number four from verse 12. Peter attributes the instruction he receives to the Holy Spirit. Now there's a nice little, nice little passage here to help us learn a little bit. Verse 12. Just take a look at it real quickly. And the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. Now if you look back to Acts chapter 10, Peter doesn't say that. He comes along here in chapter 11 and he begins to understand that what I was seeing in this vision was the work of the Holy Spirit. Now this clues us into a couple of things. Number one, Peter had to learn to listen to the Lord. And he had to learn to discern what is the Lord and what is not. And in chapter 11, Luke records Peter saying, I understood this now to be the Holy Spirit showing me what was about to take place. Because what did he do? He let him know there's some dudes coming to you and nothing's unclean. And these dudes are going to come to you and you've been told in the past they're unclean, but I've shown you nothing's unclean. And so they're going to come to you and don't have any problem going with them. So when these Gentiles showed up here where Peter's staying, Peter has no problem going with these unknown Gentiles to go where they were. And so Peter understands this is the work of the Holy Spirit. Just quick application before we get to the application of this passage. Verse 12, learn to listen. Learn to listen. Learn to discern the voice of the Lord versus you and versus the evil one. Because I promise you, multiple voices are coming at you. If you're alive, you know what I'm talking about. Sometimes it's you talking to yourself, trying to talk yourself out of something or talk yourself into something. Sometimes it's the voice of the evil one, disguised, creating fear, creating all kinds of things that keep us from the kingdom of God. Sometimes it's the Holy Spirit very clearly bringing to life what God has said and spoken to us in His Word. And we sometimes don't want to hear that. Peter recognizes this is the work of the Spirit. And he then therefore listens and obeys. Observation number five. The Holy Spirit made no distinction between persons. Notice here in this verse 12. And the Spirit told me to go with them making no distinction. The Holy Spirit made no distinction between persons. Peter is recounting the story to those who are critical to him being with and eating with the Gentiles. And so Peter is saying the Spirit makes no distinction. Why are you? Observation number 6, verse 15. Peter equates Cornelius' experience with Pentecost. Look at verse 15. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as on us at the beginning. And then he quotes the passage I shared with you already in 1, 1 to 8, where Jesus told them what was going to take place. Peter equates Cornelius' experience with Pentecost. Now hang with me here just a moment. 
When he says, just as on us, this helps us in a couple of ways. Number one, it helps us to understand what baptism of the Holy Spirit is. It's not a second work of grace for believers. It is the regenerating work of the Spirit, whereby he resurrects a dead soul, places them into the kingdom of Jesus, adopts them as his children, and marks and seals them as his forever. Second, These frontier peoples get a Pentecost experience like the Jewish folks got for the purpose of putting on display that in the kingdom there is neither Jew, Gentile, slave, nor free, but one in Christ. And so the gift of the Holy Spirit and the same experience of His work becomes the basis for unity in the church. All in Christ have the Spirit, and have been regenerated by the Spirit. Therefore, Holy Spirit is the basis of our unity. Not just in the local church, but among all those who call Jesus King. And so therefore, we're given Holy Spirit to be able to discern and know when Holy Spirit is dwelling in someone else. And that alone is our basis for unity. Now, if you travel about and just go through life in Rome, Georgia, or maybe you've traveled in a different country, sat on a plane, and you just sensed that that person you were with was in the kingdom. You know what I'm talking about? It was just there. You knew it. And you finally got the guts to ask them, yeah, I'm a, I follow Jesus too. And you're like, that's cool. What is that? That's called discernment. That's Holy Spirit in them witnessing to you that we are brothers and sisters. We're a, we're a family. We're unified. And so, them receiving the Spirit, just as the Jews did, caused Peter to understand that God made no distinction, therefore the Holy Spirit was the basis of unity in the church. We'll get some application in just a minute. Hang tight. Observation number 7, verse 16. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how He said, John baptized with water, but you be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Peter recalls Jesus' instruction in that moment. He recalls that encounter in Acts 1, 1 to 8. He spoke to them about this issue. And now it makes sense as it's coming to life. Observation number 8, verse 17. If then God gave... Now remember, Peter is speaking to those who are criticizing him for spending time with Gentiles. And he's recounting the story. Listen to what he says here. If then God gave them the same... Or, I'm sorry, if God gave the same gift to them as He gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? You see His logic? If they got the Spirit, just like we did, who am I to say they are not equal with us? It's a rhetorical question. In other words, there's nothing I can say. There are people... So he recalls the Lord's instruction in the moment and recognizes that the gift of the Spirit, observation number eight, is the unifying agent of the church. Observation number nine, verse 18. When they heard these things, they fell silent. The critics shut up. That's awesome. They fell silent. That's Bible way of saying they closed their yapper, quit criticizing. And they glorified God saying then the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. The gift of the Holy Spirit silences critics and brings glory to God from the critics, as well acknowledgement of God's work among outsiders that God has now made insiders. Now, what in the world do we do with these 18 verses? 
Here's just some application. Number one, Three Rivers Church, you need to know that unity, not just in the local church, but unity among ethnically diverse disciples of Jesus, that Jesus has brought into the universal church is a priority. Unity is a priority. Multi-ethnic unity is vital and must be sought out. You've heard this theme as we've studied through Acts more than once. You've heard us say this over and over again. And, and the reason is because the text continues to make it an issue. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Meaning the kingdom of God is not to be isolated to Jerusalem and your crew of Peter people. People like Peter. Hang out with Peter. Your crew of James people. Your crew of whoever people. Your little group of Jewish people. The gospel of the kingdom is to invade all nations beginning from Jerusalem. But it is to go out to all nations. So as we track through the book of Acts, we see this progressive moving out, right? Jerusalem, Acts 2. Judea, Samaria. Acts 8, the Samaritans. Acts 10, Gentiles. And we're going to end the book in Acts 28 with where? Paul in Rome, the ends of the earth. That the gospel is moving outward. And as it, move out, as it moves outward, it brings into the church people who do not look like the people it started with. Therefore, the theme is that God cares about unity. And those who are in Christ are not to be segregated, but they are to be unified as one church in Christ with Holy Spirit unifying them together. Amen. And so, therefore, we have to understand that unity... In diversity is a priority for God and therefore it must be for us. The implications to that are huge, Three Rivers Church. You know this because you hear this. We say this a lot. And it is one thing to hear it. It's quite another thing to pull it off. And we're not going to spend a lot of time walking through the strategy of that. We're working through that as a fellowship. But what we need to know is, because it keeps coming up in the text, is this is a priority to God and therefore must be to us. So three of us church know that the practice of being unified and diverse matters to Jesus and it needs to matter to us. Meaning as we have opportunities to get cross-cultural, reach across lines, and bring in and include and be part and bend ourselves around those who are in the minority, it is a priority to God. It's one thing to have people come and be part of our fellowship and expect them to be like us. It's another thing to obey Jesus and the golden rule and treat them the way they need to be treated. The golden rule is so often made self-centered. Do to others the way you would have them do to Oh, they would like Falcon season tickets. So I'm going to get them Falcon season tickets. Like my wife cringes. Like if I love my wife, I'd get Falcon season tickets. That's treating her the way I want to be treated, right? But it says treat her the way you want to be treated. I want Falcon season tickets. Someone buy her season tickets. You see what I just did with that? I turned this this rule that the Lord gave us on treating people properly into self centered rule. Jesus didn't mean it that way. When Jesus talks about that, what he means is treat them the way they need to be treated. Meaning you must know how they need to be treated in order to treat them that way. 
Do you know how to speak to someone who's not white? Do you know how to bend your culture in such a fashion that people can come in and feel okay and not excluded? The only way you know that is to put yourself in a minority situation and feel how outsider you feel. And then you'll know how minorities feel when they walk into us. So Three Rivers, do some things that challenge your comfort level in including people that are different, but equal. I would love for us in five to ten years to be a true multi-ethnic congregation where it's not just multi-ethnic in composition, but multi-ethnic in leadership. Where our culture looks like the culture of God's kingdom, not white, not black, not Hispanic, but kingdom. The key to unity is Holy Spirit and the kingdom of God. And so for us, we need to act like the kingdom of God. And we act like the kingdom of God, you know what will happen? we can begin to have Jew, Gentile, slave, and free one. One. So know it matters to God, and it can't be fifth on our list. It can't be fifth on our list. So Three Rivers Church, know it's a priority to God and must be a priority to us. I'm not telling you it will be easy. I'm telling you it will be hard. But just because it's hard doesn't mean we don't do it. We strive for unity in diversity because the nations are Jesus' goal. Not just Rome, Georgia. And not just Rome, Georgia. White Rome, Georgia. Black Rome, Georgia. Hispanic Rome, Georgia. But Rome, Georgia. In Christ together. Unified. So it's priority to God must be to us. Number two. Expect criticism. When previously believed unworthy people. Let me state that. It makes sense in my head. Let me say it right with the proper punctuation. Expect criticism when previously believed unworthy people get saved and fellowship as well as multi-ethnic unity assault. In other words, expect criticism when people who were believed to be unworthy and were kept outside of fellowship get saved and come in and be part of fellowship. What that will do is uncover all kinds of biases. Christians are real good about covering up our biases. Real good about covering up the fact that we struggle with certain things. So expect the fact that criticism is going to come when people who are believed to be unworthy and outside of fellowship begin to be part of our fellowship. Expect criticism. I mean, Peter, a founder, was getting criticized. Who criticizes Peter, right? It's like he was with Jesus. He walked on water. I'm not criticizing Cat who walks on water. You know what I'm saying? If he walks in this room and he walked on water, I'm not criticizing him. But these guys have enough nerve. By the way, Peter's going there on this mission trip to preach the gospel to people. He's seen the kingdom of God expand. He's walked on water. He comes back. Who do you think you are? What are you doing including Gentiles? Give him a break. Just let him chill for a minute. He's been working for the kingdom, right? Expect that. Expect that when you serve the kingdom and you're working hard for the sake of the gospel, somebody's going to smack you in the face and challenge your values. And challenge the fact that you're working hard. This kind of criticism over external legalistic demand is the kind that can destroy a fellowship. Anytime people create laws not written in the text of Scripture and fellowship around those laws, they create division. And so what they've done is uh, Gentiles need to be circumcised. 
to be right with God. Not in the text. So they create fellowship around an unwritten law. And next thing you do, they've created division. Expect criticism when we break unwritten commands created by people that look like they're spiritual. And as a side note, a second application, this is 2A. Don't create laws and don't fellowship around created unbiblical laws as a basis of relationships. We do that well. We like certain things and we want to create groups around what we like and gather people around us based on that so we feel good about ourselves and what we like. And oh look, I'm not alone. And if anybody does something different, <gasps> and then often I want to say, is that written in the manual? No, but it's good. Really? You're excluding people based on a law you wrote that's not in the text. How is that good? You see what I'm saying? And so that's exactly what they're doing here. Circumcision. Gentiles not circumcised. Keep them out. So we create laws around unwritten commands that we like. And thereby we begin to exclude people. So therefore don't create laws that aren't in the text. This is, this is by the way, the glorious work of the gospel to unify diversity. Paul deals with this in Romans 14 and 15. Food, drink. Food sacrificed to idols and alcohol. And not one time does Paul say stop drinking, stop eating. And he doesn't say start drinking, start eating. You know what he says? Be one. So you who drink and eat, love those who don't. Those who don't, love those who do. Be unified. Meaning like what you like. As long as you're not breaking a command. Right? Choose to not like what somebody else likes, but don't hold them to a law that's not written and love them. Be unified. Diverse. Unity. That challenges us, right? Because ah, I want people to like what I like. Well, fine. Awesome. Love them. Treat them the way they need to be treated. Right? Expect criticism, though, when we cross lines created by men that we've turned into commandments. Jesus spoke to that, by the way. Jesus spoke to that. There's this instance in the Gospels. This is not in your notes. This is free. They're criticizing Jesus' disciples. And Jesus says, you've taken doctrines of men and you've turned them into commandments. And He gave them an illustration that they've done. The Bible says, honor your father and the mother. Right? But what you've done is you've set aside the command of God for the sake of your own deal. What you said is take what should go to my parents and give it as a gift to God. That sounds spiritual, right? Man, I'm going to take what I would honor my mom and dad with and I'm going to give it as a, as a gift to the Lord. Aw, I gave money to Jesus. That sounds spiritual, doesn't it? The only problem is Jesus said, I told you to honor your father and your mother. And you have taken something you want to do You've put Christian language on it and dishonored me, disobeyed me, and say you're honoring me. And then he said, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Teaching us doctrines, commandments of men. That's where you'll hear me say things like putting a Christian t-shirt on an idol. We're good at that. We like it. Let's Christianize it. Call it Jesus. And exclude people from it. Ah, no. Here... 
We are continually confronted with the fact that God loves unity and diversity. If the Holy Spirit dwells in them, we are to be one. We're not to create fake divisions. Third application, expect the Lord to silence critics when they see the work of the Lord. If a critic won't listen to Jesus' instruction, then they are more than a critic. They're a sinner in need of repentance. So when people come at us because we love unity and diversity, expect the Lord to silence those critics and set them aside. He will. He can. Number four, be able. Be able to tell redemptive stories of God's grace as He repairs breaches of relationship because you were part of that story. Notice what Peter does here. He launches into this multiple verse recounting of what God did. Why did He do that? Because He was there. He was on the front lines. And he was able to tell stories of God's grace. So Three Rivers, be able to tell stories of God's redemptive grace as he repairs breaches of relationship because you're part of the story. In other words, Three Rivers, make sure you're engaged in some way. In some way. To make peace where there is division between nations and peoples and ethnicities and be able to tell the redemptive story of God's grace. Listen, you cannot survive long on repeating other people's stories of God's grace. You will dry up on your spiritual vine if your life consists on telling and retelling other people's stories. Listen, Jesus said about you, greater ministry than this will you do because I go to the Father. Jesus gave you the Holy Spirit too. He gave you a mission too. He gave you a domain to take for the sake of the gospel. So don't live on telling stories of other people's experience of God's grace. Experience His grace on the front lines as you serve the gospel and as you serve the kingdom of God. And when God does those things, be able, as Peter did, to recount this awesome story. See, I went, I just heard, there was a napkin and it was Lowered, lowered down in front of me. And there are all kinds of dirty animals in there. And I said, Lord, I've never eaten any. I'm hungry. You say to eat. I've never eaten anything unclean. The Lord said, nothing I've created is unclean. So eat it all. Oh, awesome. Good. Oh, wait. Gentiles are at the door. Want me to go with them. Oh, so you want me to go with them. Okay, cool. And I go. I show up. They say, preach the gospel. I preach the gospel. You save them. Awesome story. You're a moron for going with Gentiles. Wait a second. Let me tell you this story. See, here's what happened. And when I got there, I preached and they got saved. Okay, cool. Very good. Peter just recounted being on the front lines. So Three Rivers, be on the front lines. Be on the front lines. Be able to tell stories of God's redemptive grace because you were there. And listen, it does not have to be Acts 11, 1 to 18. God wants to work in you and through us as individuals and us as a body in small ways and large ways. Be okay with how He works in you, but be able to tell stories of God's redemptive grace and how He's worked in your life and your family, right? Because that's going to encourage others. It's going to silence critics. It's going to bring unity. There's nothing like being able to get together with other followers of Jesus and tell these stories of how God has been working in our midst and how we obeyed and how He honored it. Because what that's going to do is encourage others to get in the game and strengthen others who are in the middle of a difficult time. Because, wow, the Lord worked in you. God, He can work in me too. That's awesome. And you encourage one another with those stories. Be able to tell those redemptive stories. A little illustration here. You see, reaching out to Muslims or refugees helps debunk many of the myths that float around as truth. And you are able then to be a peacemaker. And what did Jesus say? Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called what? Sons of God. 
You see, the unfortunate thing is often in our culture, we believe spun media hype to be true. And therefore, we join fake sides in an argument, making fake arguments, believing things that aren't true, ignoring the instruction of the kingdom of God. But when we reach out to those Jesus has told us to reach out to, we get to debunk those myths that float around. And we are then peacemakers who Jesus says, my son, my daughter. And you get to tell that story of redemptive grace. Well, second, second big observation. We've seen a lot of observations from verse 1 to 18. Now let's take a look at our next theme, big observation of verse 19 to 26. And that is cross-cultural work. Unnamed disciples making disciples cross-culturally. I'm just read this section. And I, this section makes me happy. Because there's great hope for all of us in this section. I want you to hear it. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. Okay? But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also. Preaching the Lord Jesus. And the, and the hand of the Lord was with them. And a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. And they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad. And he exhorted them to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him back to Antioch. And for a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Notice something that happens here. Stephen's martyrdom scatters these unnamed disciples. And it's strategic. And it's done so to a very frontier setting. Listen, just side note here. The martyrdom of Stephen was no mistake and it was no tragedy. It's a strategic work of the Lord to scatter His people to the frontier of the mission. Lest you think that's true, read Revelation 6 and 7 carefully. There are an appointed number of martyrs. Jesus has chosen them before the foundation of the world to bear witness to the gospel in their death. Stephen was one of those. And he got to bear that glorious honor of dying for the sake of the gospel. God in His good grace strategically scattered the church. Why? Because He told them in verse 8, You're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth. You're comfortable in Jerusalem. So I'm going to scatter you. I'm going to send you. And we hear here in verse 19, those who were scattered. Because of why? Stephen went as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch speaking the word. Isn't that awesome? Listen, guys, recognize. This is, I'm getting application too quick. That's okay. Recognize that when difficulty comes upon the people of God, it is never accidental and it is always strategic. And I don't have time to unpack all of the Scripture, Old Testament and New alike, that teaches God is working in those things to bring about His glory and our joy. 
So here, because of the persecution against Stephen and the church, these unnamed disciples, and note they are unnamed, they're not famous, begin to preach the gospel in this frontier setting, achieving the mission. You see, this is not frontier in the sense of not civilization. Don't hear frontier as not civilized. This is frontier in that it is very unfamiliar territory to the typical Christian at this point in Christian history and unfamiliar with the values of God's kingdom. You see, it's one thing to do evangelism in a place where the church has been established and ground is being taken and the spiritual air has been affected by the values of the kingdom. It's quite another thing when Christians are working within a set of values that are opposite of the kingdom. And the spiritual climate is charged with evil rather than light and there is no church presence. This is that kind of frontier. This frontier work is being engaged by some unnamed disciples who are just obeying Jesus. There's more to say about that in just a moment. Observation number two. Some men of Cyprus and Cyrene reached out to non-Jews in Antioch. That's pretty awesome. Antioch, by the way, could possibly be compared to Las Vegas now. This is a very sensual city. This is a place that is known for its sensuality. And this is a place that is not pretty culturally. And these unnamed disciples reach across in this very different place to preach the gospel. Notice observation number 3 and verse 20. They preach Jesus. Not complicated, not hard. They preach Jesus. Observation number 4, verse 21. What happened as a result of preaching the gospel? The hand of the Lord was there. What a great theme in the Bible. Just finished up Ezra and then Nehemiah and the Old Testament readings. And it's a theme in those books that the hand of the Lord was with us. Ezra even says, this is just beautiful. He said, I was ashamed because of all I said about my God to ask the king for armed escorts. So... We fasted and prayed and asked the Lord to take care of us. What a great way to live. I've said so much about how awesome my God is. What would it look like if I asked the king for armed escorts? My God's not real powerful. So we fasted and prayed. <laughs> Lord, oh God, please take care of us. And what does Ezra say? The hand of the Lord was with us. Isn't that awesome? And so what are they doing? They're preaching Jesus. And what does he tell us here? The hand of the Lord was present. Just this glorious theme of when when. People do God's work. God's mighty power is present to make it effective. Listen, church, you don't have to be special. You have to be obedient. You have to be obedient. They preach Jesus. The Lord saved people. Verse 22, observation number 5. News reaches Jerusalem about this kingdom movement in Antioch. And so they send some reliable people, particularly Barnabas, to investigate what's happening. You see, it's one thing when some God-fearing Gentiles like Cornelius comes into the gospel. It's another thing when pagan Gentiles start coming in. What in the world are we going to do with that? Barnabas, go see what's happening. Verse 23, Barnabas recognizes God's grace and he encourages these new believers. Verse 24, Barnabas' ministry reaches even more people and the number of disciples begin to grow. And then the last observation here in verse 25 and 26, he goes off to Tarsus to find Saul. Why? A couple of reasons I think here. The text doesn't really tell us at all. And no good commentary addressed it. So I hate that when scholars are just like, that's a hard text. Let me move on to the next one. I'm like, come on, man. You got the PhD. Help me out here. 
No good commentary gave me any reason. So I'm going to give you the two that I come up with. Perhaps he goes to look for Saul because he knows Saul's ministry to the Gentiles is his forte. And so he goes and looks for a brother who can help him in this ministry. Perhaps he goes to get Saul because he just simply needs help. And he remembered the word of the Lord that sent them out two by two. And he needs someone there with him to share the load of the ministry. Regardless, he reaches out to Saul. Saul comes back and they enjoy a year of discipling people. Notice here in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Now you've got to keep in mind, that's not a good word. We take Christian as a word that we think of as being positive. This was a diminutive term. This was a term that looked down on. Christ means anointed one. It wasn't the Christians who gave them this name. It's pagans. Christ means anointed one. And in some circles, that language, particularly around the area of Antioch, it was known more anointing with oil than it was with the power of the Holy Spirit. So quite literally, to those who gave them this name, it's more like oily ones. These people who follow this oily person, it was just, it was really just not a nice word. These people who are gathering together following this person, Jesus, these, these little Jesuses, these little oily ones. And it was a term that looked down on them. They got that name because they were obeying Jesus. Listen, Three Rivers Church, if you obey Jesus, you may be called many things. And it is absolutely okay. As long as you're obeying Jesus, they don't care where they call you oily ones, little Jesuses, little whatevers. Little pro-lifers, little whatever. As long as we obey Jesus. And notice there was no pushback. They just simply wrote about it. In Antioch, we got given this name. So what do we do with this? What do we do with this? Number one, the kingdom advances through the ambassadorial work of unnamed followers of Jesus. It is real easy in our context to worship stars. And we want stars bad. But I think what's vital for us to recognize here in the book of Acts that the gospel of the kingdom advances not on the backs of stars, but unnamed disciples of Jesus who simply obey. There is no place in the kingdom of God for stars. There's one star and his name is Jesus. My fear is in the context of Western Christianity that we follow men before we follow Jesus. We have heroes when there's only one hero and his name is Jesus. My hunch is it would be better for men to hide under Christ and be unnamed than to find themselves in stardom. And when they mess up, the whole world knows and Jesus' glorious reputation takes a hit because they embraced stardom. I love the fact that these are unnamed disciples just obeying Jesus. Three of us church, all us are unnamed disciples. You know what that means? There's great hope for us. If we preach the gospel, the hand of the Lord be present. He saves people, brings the kingdom, and we just obeyed. We got to see the fruit. Be okay with that. If they never know our name, be okay with that. Because the kingdom advances through ambassadors of Jesus who are unnamed. Some plant, some water, some harvest, but Jesus gives the increase. The point is Christ. Number two, celebrate. 
celebrate this unheard of frontier work when Jesus is lifted up, even if the methods leave us scratching our heads. The church in Jerusalem was taken aback by these pagans in Antioch believing the gospel so much so they sent Barnabas up to check it out, see what's going on. Celebrate this unheard of frontier work when we hear and see that Jesus is advancing his kingdom. Sometimes the methods are going to leave us scratching our head. That's okay. If Jesus is lifted up, let's celebrate. Three, preach Jesus and expect the Lord's hand to produce results. The gospel's powerful. The gospel's powerful. The hand of the Lord is this glorious concept presented in the Bible that means the directing hand of God bringing about the good work of God. When my boys were little, I would let them sit on my lap when we turned into our neighborhood and I'd let them drive the car. And they would put their hands on the steering wheel and steer the car. And what they didn't know because they were small enough was my hand was firmly on the steering wheel at the bottom. And so when they were about to go into a ditch, I would correct. They thought they were driving when in fact I was driving. The reality is when we do the work of the kingdom and preach the gospel, sometimes it looks like we're really powerful. But the fact is, when God does work, it's because the hand of the Lord is present to do work. And He takes unnamed disciples who fumble presentation all day long in sin. And He advances His kingdom. And we get to say, praise you, Jesus. You took this unnamed, stuttering follower of Jesus and you made your name great. All glory be to you, King Jesus. So preach Jesus and expect His hand to produce results. Third theme, final theme, verse 27 to 30. Discipleship. New disciples begin serving as an outgrowth of following Jesus. Now in those days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. By the way, if you wonder if they're directionally challenged, you look at a map and say they came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and you go, wait, because I like, like mm, mm. directionally challenged people bother me. If we're going to Chattanooga and they say I'm going down to Chattanooga, like my skin crawls. Because on a map, Chattanooga is... Thank you. It's up. It's not down. So when I read these passages, I, like inside my skin crawls, there's actually a reason for this. Jerusalem is on a hill. It's on a mountain. Antioch sets lower. So it's actually directionally appropriate to say they went down from Jerusalem to Antioch. Because on a map, Antioch's north. It should be up. But it's actually geographically down. So it's the text is accurate. Isn't that glorious? Amen. Thank you, Jesus, for your word. The prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. And one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. Historical reference happened. So the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. The Lord in His good providence has determined a famine over all the land. Unless you think God's hand is absent in those things, read Psalm 105, 16 to 17. The Lord sent a famine to the land so that brothers might sell Joseph into slavery. So that, what? When they needed food, there would be an advocate in Egypt who would sell them food. Read it. Wrestle with it. God sends famines and He does so for His glory and our joy. When difficulty comes, it's not as though God has turned a blind eye. He's working for your good and His glory. So God sent this famine and He sent it for good purpose. One of those good purposes was that it would be an opportunity for unity. So He sends a prophet to tell about this famine. And the church would be affected. So that all those who would have an abundance could have the opportunity 
to bless the affected. It just so happened that the affected would be the place where the church started. And the one's blessing would be the one's... They thought were less than. (laughs) Just like the Lord. I didn't write this in because I'm not... I want to be very careful here. See, God would use a famine to allow new disciples to spread their wings and build unity in His church by putting blessers in the position of needing to be blessed. For so long, Western, middle-class, white Christianity has been a blessing to the world. But in recent years, we find ourselves in need of being blessed. And wouldn't it be just like the Lord to raise up A movement of His Spirit among those who don't look like us in order to bless us with the work of the kingdom. Yeah, it would be awesome. You see, the Lord accomplishes here unity because what the church in Jerusalem has to recognize is they are being blessed by those they used to count as outsiders. And the humility it would take to receive from those you used to think were less than would be a work that only the gospel could pull off. Finally here, what's important is these new disciples have an outlet for work. It's easy to think of discipleship as a linear course, whereby you learn this thing, then you learn this thing, then you learn this thing, you learn this thing, and you learn all those things, you finally disciple. No, no, no. Discipleship is very much not that. Discipleship is learn to follow Jesus. Imitate someone's example. These new disciples get a chance to bless early on. They learn that giving is a value of God's kingdom. And so though there is very little, they give what they have. And there's this little book called Corinthians in which Paul addresses this to the church at Corinth. When I come, have the gift ready. And it's acceptable to give, not out of abundance, but according to what you have. Chapter 8. In other words, following Jesus is doing what you can, being obedient with what He's given you. And He gave these disciples an early opportunity to exercise following Jesus. What do we do with that? Well, when making disciples, put them to work as part of discipling, not as an end to book learning. Give them a chance to serve. If you're discipling people, you know, I ask you this question frequently, men. Who are your men? Who are you discipling? Who are you growing? If the answer to that is nobody, you need to get obedient to Jesus. You need to be discipling some people. Ladies, who are your ladies? Titus is clear. Older women teach younger women. Ladies, find some ladies who need some discipling and give your life to them. Men, who are your men? Find some men who need to grow in the Lord and give your life to them. And by the way, it's the responsibility of the one being discipled to follow the discipler. Not for the discipler to back their schedule down to yours. Jesus didn't stop moving. Jesus kept moving and said, get on my six and follow me. And I'll make you fishers of men. So go pursue the kingdom. And invite some people to follow you. That's simple. That's simple. And give them a chance to serve early. Give them a chance to give away early. Give them a chance to serve. And by the way, do it in a multi-ethnic fashion. Do it in a way that puts on display unity and diversity. That's Acts 11, 1 to 30. 
That's Acts 11, 1 to 30. So three rivers recognize these glorious themes. Unity through the Holy Spirit. Cross-cultural work through unnamed disciples. Just obeying Jesus and preaching the gospel. And discipleship. It's a glorious gift of growing in the grace of the Lord. And what do we do as a fellowship in response to God's word? We worship. We worship. Psalm 147.1 is a banner that I often like to use over our time. Praise the Lord. For it is good to sing praises to our God. For it is pleasant. The song of praise is fitting. Three Rivers Church, God has graced us with abundance in every area. And so therefore, as followers of Jesus, seeing these things, and by the way, I don't know if you recognize or not, we are a very unified body. That's pretty awesome. There's very few fellowships that share the unity of purpose that we have. We're a unified body. We're a place who cares about cross-cultural work because of our work in our UPG. And the people God mobilizes out of this fellowship to go to other UPGs. Unheard of in a church this size. And the fact that we reach across and seek to disciple people in hard parts in our town. Making the effort. Striving with the powerful gospel. God has produced fruit. And Three Rivers Church, it is our responsibility to come and praise Him. Praise Him. For all these good things, for his instruction, for his leading, and for all that he's done to bring that about in this fellowship. And so I challenge you this morning, praise the Lord. It is good to sing praises to our God. It's a good thing. It's pleasant. It's fitting. It's only right. So, will you worship him this morning? Let's pray. Father. And thank you for your word that is a lamp for our feet and a light for our path. Thank you for your truth. That affirms and and challenges. Now Holy Spirit I pray. That you would do in this fellowship. All that Jesus said you would do. You would remind us of everything he has said. You would be our counselor. Our helper. Our teacher. I pray that you would be. The one who convicts concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. I pray that you would cause your people. To sing your praise exuberantly before you today. God, I pray that you would create a spirit of praise in your people. That we would delight in you and praise you. That we would enjoy you for these moments. That we have together to worship. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would call out those to go to the harvest. You told us, ask the Lord of the harvest to send laborers. So Lord of the harvest, I ask you this morning to call out laborers for the local and the global work of your kingdom. Would you put it in the hearts of your people to hear you and obey you? Be on the front lines and have stories of grace to tell. We trust you for that this morning. Be glorified as we enjoy you and worship. In Jesus' name we pray.